Dolphins and welcome into the Victory Monday, the October the 15th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football on today's show. We are definitely bossy as Brock Osweiler leads the Dolphins to a win as Miami, and let's face it, all of their fans survive an absolute thriller on Sunday. The Dolphins improved to 4-2 and two with a stunning overtime victory. We'll cover the key moments, the individual takeaways, and of course, our one big thing from the week that was. But first, really quick before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. follow the show at LockedOnFins, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the recap up on the site right now and of course the other locked on sports family of podcasts you guys can hear me on the locked on nfl podcast with matt williamson talking about our miami dolphins let's go ahead and get things cranking the snap the kick for the win And the Dolphins do win it in overtime in the most shocking fashion imaginable. And we're going to get to those key moments as well as the individual performances later on in the podcast. But I would be remiss if the first topic of the day was not talking about the quarterback, which really came to a surprise of all of us. As Saturday night, I was sitting there watching the last of my terrible, terrible college bets getting fleeced on each and every one of those games. And I checked Twitter for a bit of a lifeline to see a story about Ryan Tannehill's shoulder causing concern for the Miami Dolphins staff. So it wasn't a surprise when I woke up on Sunday morning to see that Brock freaking Osweiler was going to start the game against the league's top defense, a pass rush crazy defense, a takeaway crazy defense, But the funniest part about this entire day, guys, I literally bragged to my fiance that I was happy that this Dolphins team wasn't going to give me a heart attack this week, that I was going to have a week off, a week to rest, so to speak. And what I meant by that was that I had no expectations. And really, my expectation was actually that a dreadful day was coming for the good guys and that we had no chance to win the game. But the joke was on me. That was the most back-and-forth game I've ever experienced as a Dolphins fan. And I'll give you my five key moments from the game here on the other side of the podcast. But we need to unpack this quarterback situation first. And on Sunday, I held off from Twitter all day long talking about this because I think you guys, I think myself, I think all of us, we deserve to enjoy the hell out of this win. People that made it about the quarterback right after the game, frankly, I find them to be rather miserable. Not to go off on a tangent here, but I swear the way people approach this thing that is supposed to provide us with entertainment as an escape is extremely weird to me, but hey, to each their own, I just can't understand that. As for Tannehill versus Osweiler, look, you guys all saw it. There are plays where the arm just isn't quite good enough, plays where the arm talent isn't good enough. That fluttering interception that almost got taken back to the house was a horrendous throw. The one that came up short to Parker, although Parker's effort was not that great on that play, was utter garbage. That ball has to get higher. I tweeted about it, showed you guys the video. A very bad throw there from Brock Osweiler, one of two very bad throws. 
but he limits the things you can do with what his arm is. And that's the point. That's where Tannehill's shoulder, when it's right, he'll be back. He can rip it. And this offense can begin to become more consistent the way it was today in the future with Tannehill. Where Osweiler has Tannehill, though, is in that mental processing aspect of the game. And I've shown it to you guys on tape all year. Ryan Tannehill is missing some reads and costing his team points in that regard. But I think the reason the Osweiler was successful on Sunday, and let's be real here, he averaged 3.4 air yards per completion, and 274 of the 380 passing yards came after the catch. I mean, hell, both the Wilson touchdowns were throws that you or I could have made, so let's calm down on that front. But the reason he was successful was the plan was really tailored to make things easy on him. And you might ask yourself, well, why doesn't he always do that? Why don't all teams do that with the quarterback, make it easy for him to make good decisions and be accurate with the football? But the reason this scheme is in place and the reason Adam Gaze thinks he's smarter than everybody else is because he kind of is... But the problem is, if the players are the ones that have to speak the Mandarin, it doesn't do them any good if you speak Mandarin but can't teach them how to speak Mandarin. So in this complex offense, it typically is designed where one route becomes open and the quarterback has to be very cerebral and very anticipatory with his throws. And it requires absolute precision both with the accuracy and in the reading aspect of the game. And that's why when you do have that quarterback, just like Peyton Manning in 2013, you are going to do some absolute damage in this offense. It's complexity asks the quarterback to throw ahead of time and really see things before they actually happen. It requires those high-level throws on the regular and asks the quarterback to do a ton pre-snap to get those matchup advantages. And while it sucks to say Ryan Tannehill is not that guy, I think it's pretty safe to say now he's never going to be that guy. He can hit those throws because his accuracy and velocity are elite in this league, but he's never going to see things unfold before they happen the way Peyton Manning did in 2013 or the way another elite quarterback like a Tom Brady would see up in New England. Tannehill never attacks the defense's vulnerabilities, be it a new player on the field due to injury or their failure to communicate on the defensive side of the ball, but he can drive a system-based offense very well, especially when he has balance, especially when he has a running game, and hell, especially times 10 for anyone really when the wide receivers are making the plays that they made on Sunday. It's huge for this team to have found a veteran backup behind Ryan Tannehill that could allow this type of plan to work. And it kind of tells all the people that continue to complain that we should have drafted a quarterback somewhere on day two or day three to just sit down and shut up for a second. I mean, Kyle Lalletta was a third round draft pick and he's been inactive all year. If you think anybody else was going to come into this game that wasn't one of those first round quarterbacks and do what Brock Osweiler did in backup duty on Sunday, get real. But it was huge for Miami. Miami got a win that it really, really needed to have. And now they're going to get some reinforcements back into the fold, back from the injury list. Bobby McCain, Cameron Wake, they should be back next week. Andre Brandt should be even better next week coming back after two weeks from removed from the injury. Maybe Jonathan Woodard comes back after the concussion he suffered on Sunday. Tannehill hopefully too. The next four games are against Detroit, at Houston, home for the Jets, and at the Packers. You hope, you think, the worst case scenario there would be 6-4 and four going into the bye. But that is a discussion for down the line. We got to talk about the key moments of this game, unpack the individual performances, and get back to the one big thing from Sunday. And we'll do all of that in a minute. But first, a word from my bookie. And despite my terrible betting record on Saturday, I still get asked all the time for advice, and it's usually about which team to bet on in football. And the truth is, I don't always know who's going to win, but if you think you know, 
you got to check out my bookie because remember, it's not who you're betting on. It's about who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie, the best bet you'll make all season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me. So that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie where you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And since my bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everyone the best possible service if you're willing to deposit your money after 7 p.m eastern time they'll give you an additional 25 dollar free play on deposits over 100 join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when using promo code locked on to activate that offer visit my bookie online today that's m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e and don't forget to use promo code locked on when creating your account to claim up to one thousand dollars in free play money if you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., get that extra $25 free play by using promo code LOCKEDON25, one word, LOCKEDON25. It's up to you guys, but I'd wait until after dinner and take the extra money. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. First and 10, Osweiler throws complete. That's Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson loose again. Albert Wilson down the sideline. Albert Wilson has scored again. We've got five key moments to get to here. And as I'm sure you're all aware, that is one of the key moments. Let's go ahead and break down these five key moments from the Dolphins stunning 31 to 28 overtime victory on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. They moved to four and two giving us our first Monday Victory Podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins Podcast for three weeks, and we're going to enjoy it. First up, the fifth most important play of the day, and we're going chronologically in order here. And there are a lot more than five plays in this game, so tough to narrow it down. Let's go ahead and start with Albert Wilson's first touchdown catch. The one before that came with nine minutes and 19 seconds to go in the game, down by eight. It was a third and six. We all know how bad the Dolphins have been on third down all year long. And it was just a simple little screen pass right out to the right side, and they called the perfect play to beat the Bears blitz. They brought seven men on the rush, and the screen was absolutely dialed up at the right time to take advantage of that blitz. All they had to do was get a hat on a hat. They got that, and Albert Wilson did the rest. Play number four, the most important plays of the day, was the two-point conversion immediately after that because Khalil Mack blows up a little play-action boot where they want to get the guy in the flat. I believe it was Nick O'Leary working out to the flat. He blows that up, takes away the run option, takes away the pass option, but a fantastic job by Brock Osweiler to scramble to the right, keeps the play alive, and I said this on Twitter, and Adam Gaze actually confirmed it, not to me, but just in general, in his post-game press conference, talking about how they never throw the ball to that route on that play, because typically you can't get to that route. So great job to keep the play alive, keep things going, a fantastic ball placement on that throw, and Kenny Stills with fantastic footwork to stay in bounds and tie the game up at 21-all. And then the third most important play, Albert Wilson's touchdown, the one you just heard on the audio call, with 3 minutes, 11 seconds to go in the game. First and 10, down by 7. And now he chips in with his second touchdown of the day. It's a little search route where he wants to find space in the zone, just trying to get between the linebackers, pick up five or six yards, but he catches the ball at the 27-yard line, two yards past the line of scrimmage, and races out to the 35, slips his first tackle there, and then weaves his way through the Bears' secondary, going 75 yards to the house, 72 of those yards after the catch. What a special, special player he is. His fifth touchdown of the season now on those two catches combined, just two catches, 102 yards after the 
the catch and four broken tackles on those two plays for two touchdowns. Second most important play, and this is one that didn't lead to any points, but it I think it probably prevented the Bears from scoring the go-ahead field goal or touchdown at the end of the game. Kiko Alonso's forced fumble with two minutes left. That thing happened right at midfield. The way their offense was cooking and the way Miami's defense was gassed, they were going to score on that drive. And Miami never gets to overtime to even have a chance to win the game. Kiko drops into a deep drop on second and 14. They love doing that. I hate it, but it is what it is. They left the Bears running backs uncovered underneath. And Kiko comes up and simply punches the ball out, puts his helmet right on the football. And say what you will about Kiko. I say a lot of bad things in terms of some of the things he can and cannot do. But he has a flair for the dramatic and he is a big play linebacker and Miami absolutely had to have that on the game on Sunday and the number one most important play of the game for the Miami Dolphins in this 31-28 victory was when there was only a minute 17 left in overtime. Miami has the football second and six, and Brock Osweiler finds Kenyon Drake for 15 yards and a first down. This is an association with Jason Sanders' game-winning field goal, but this play to go back to Drake after he had that absolute soul-crushing fumble, and you could tell how much it meant to him, was huge in two ways. One, it was a great way to get Drake's head right immediately after the major, major mistake, and obviously it led to a huge win. Now, as for the play, it happened because of more great pass protection from this offensive line which we'll talk about here in a minute but Chicago was in a man spy coverage and Kenyon Drake leaks out into the vacated flat and it was vacated because of the three-man route combination to that side Drake catches it beats Roquan Smith to the edge turns it up gets a big 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 time first down then Miami gets a three-yard run from him a six-yard completion of Danny Amendola and all of that before a big time game-winning field goal from Jason Sanders which by the way we have to give some love to Darren Rizzi he found a really good looking kicker in Jason Sanders who has not missed yet this year aside from one extra point after a touchdown but he is perfect on field goals and now has a game-winning kick under his belt and an honorable mention to the Dolphins defense for those three run stops before Cody Parkey missed his field goal to win the game because they held up strong there when it could have been very easy to wilt and let themselves break after a long day of bending they did not they held up they forced a long field goal and got the Dolphins the win because of it individually Brock Osweiler thought he was really helped out by his receivers and offensive line the offensive line was terrific Laramie Tunzel and Jawan James held Khalil Mack to one pressure on either side of the field and Leonard Floyd had zero pressures so two pressures from their key rushers on the outside fantastic work from those guys the entire O-line played good Travis Swanson was very good Albert Wilson was awesome Danny Amendola was huge again Frank Gore the ageless wonder 6.7 yards per carry on the day he ran really hard his second effort on a lot of plays was the difference on a lot of those plays so good job by him defense it's hard to give individual awards out for this one because they were pretty bad overall in the game I thought Vincent Taylor was dominant once again. They just had a hard time getting the Bears into the right matchups, and they really exploited the Dolphins linebackers in coverage, as well as Torrey McTire, who had a very, very rough day out there on the edge. He got replaced by Cordray Tankersley, who also didn't look, he looked pretty punchless to me, in my opinion. Rashad Jones had some plays. TJ McDonald had a big-time interception. That Rashad Jones fourth and one stop, if you haven't seen it, it's on my Twitter. It's a fantastic play from Rashad Jones, the Dolphins all-pro safety back there. Minka Fitzpatrick had an up-and-down day. I thought Xavier Howard was pretty good for the most part, and the pass rush just really didn't get anything done the entire day. One more note going back to Brock Osweiler was a note talking about his leadership and what he said to Kenyon Drake after that fumble. He told Drake that he's, he knows that Chicago is going to miss this field goal, and when he when they do, he needs Kenyon Drake to come back with the same confidence and swagger he always has. Kenyon Drake said, okay, and there you go. There you have it. They find a way to win the game. 
And speaking of post-game nuggets and notes, Adam Gaze at the end of his press availability, I recommend you guys go check that out too because he got a little bit snarky with the media. And personally, I'm going to go be one of those people here in a couple of months. kind of nervous to do it because of the way he reacted. But he went after someone that asked him a question about Ryan Tannehill. So... That press conference is available via the Dolphins' social media pages on Twitter as well as on Facebook. You guys can find that for yourselves. I'll probably have some audio for you later in the week from different things players and coaches have said. But next, we're going to talk about the one big thing, the one big takeaway from this game, the Dolphins' 31-28 victory over the Chicago Bears. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. This is 36. Another receiver screen. Wilson breaks three again. Wilson to the house. Touchdown, Miami. Albert Wilson, absolutely unstoppable on the day. Five catches, 160 yards, two touchdowns, none bigger than the last one. You heard both of them here on the podcast. I can't wait to get to the film this week and really see what happened on all those plays. As you guys know, the broadcast doesn't really show you everything you want to see, but it definitely was fun to see this offense kind of go in the right direction after Adam Gase spent all offseason telling us that he had a plan for all these guys. It's nice to kind of see it pay off, and that leads us in with a damn fine segue, if I do say so myself, to our one big thing for the Victory Monday podcast for October the 15th. Here's our one big thing. One big thing. And you guys know by now that Adam Gaze catches a lot of flack from Dolphins fans, and some of it, well, some of it is justified. We've complained about his propensity to call screen passes, to get away from the running game altogether, or just his play calling in general. We've complained about the slow starts, the stubbornness, and the shortness with the media. We've heard it all from all corners of Dolphins fandom across Twitter and otherwise. But one of the big ones that we've heard about is how he can't handle personalities and that's why he ships away all of these big-time star players. But is there a reason for all that? Since Adam Gaze took over in 2016, Miami are now 16-5 in one-score football games. This offseason, Adam Gaze mentioned specific examples of the team failing to overcome adversity at different times during a very trying 2017 season. We had Jeff Darlington on the podcast this summer talking about how certain leaders, and he did mean Dominican Sue, Jarvis Landry, and Jay Ajayi, named them by name, that rather than rallying around that adversity and getting things going in the right direction, they would go their own way and focus on the individual accomplishments of their own brand. Was Gaze right? Under Adam Gaze, these Miami Dolphins have shown a lot of fight, a lot of resolve, and they've achieved a lot of wins as a result of that. That doesn't just happen. Winning games, closing games out, that is a learned skill. Just ask the Cleveland Browns the last few years. They have found every way imaginable to lose games over that stretch. And for the longest time, so do the Dolphins. How many times have you said to yourself over the last three years, that's a game Miami would have lost in the past? Well, you can stop saying it about the present because under Adam Gaze, this team fights until the bitter end. And if they can get it close, they're probably going to win. And when they did on Sunday, the Dolphins now 4-2 and two atop the AFC East with the New England Patriots, who won on Sunday as well in a fantastic game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Both teams 4-2. and two. Dolphins are now one of six teams in the AFC with four wins, so currently in a playoff spot. 
And of course, like I mentioned at the top of the show, an easier stretch of the schedule. Let's see if the Dolphins can't stack some wins. But in the meantime, it is time for our favorite outro song here on the podcast. And you guys already know what time it is. Let's go ahead and bring on our good friend J-Rock to get us out of here. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We'll have the regular week schedule out for you guys all week this long. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Victory Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Win, win, win.